Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, that's one of those verses that it might do well for us to commit to memory, and I bet there's some among us who have already done that. Like when they were in their church, when they were kids, and they had sword drills, which was that you had to find a scripture, and they memorized those scriptures. Well, I commend it to you. Write it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your refrigerator, because it's a verse worth remembering. Today we begin a new series called Rediscovering Our Freedoms, and during the month of July, we're going to seek to do just that, rediscover what our freedoms mean to us, where they come from, and, and why, why they're so important to people of faith. Um, so we're going to talk about some of our very well-known stories in the Hebrew scriptures, but we're also going to base the sermons on the letters of Paul and one of the letters of Peter. So I, I hope you will keep that in mind as we go through this. And today you're going to feel like you're a little bit in a civics lesson and a history lesson, because that's the only way we can get there. Okay, so uh, hang on with me. Uh, even if you didn't like civics or history when you were in school, hang on with me. We're going to get there, and it's going to be good, I promise. Now, through the writings of the Apostle Paul and the Hebrew Scriptures, we learn a lot about freedom. And we're, I'm going to frame these four sermons in July based on the, the wonderfully powerful uh, images of Norman Rockwell's paintings called The Four Freedoms. Maybe you've seen those before and you remember them. So those pictures came from a 1941 sermon, not sermon, address that uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave to Congress. And in that speech, he articulated what he considered a post-war vision, a vision of what our freedoms would look like, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear. And so each of those images became a poster that was put all over the United States to lift people up and appeared on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Rockwell had painted the scenes in support of the war effort, and where those posters were on display, people could make contributions to the war to help support our troops. So um, you might notice in those pictures that um, they reflect a very white America, don't they? Well, we know that that exclusively white America um, was not true then, and it's not true now. So, considering our nation's diversity and taking inspiration from Rockwell's vision of the four freedoms, um, some new paintings were developed by an organization called For, F-O-R, Freedom. And, and they reflect more the kind of people we are. The Four Freedoms is an artist-run platform of civic engagement and discourse and direct action for artists. 
and it was co-founded by Hank Willis Thomas and Eric Gutzman in 2016, right before the 2016 election. And in October of 2018, these images were developed that more accurately reflect the vast diversity of our nation. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from want, freedom from fear. Now, given all that is happening in our country right now, what better time now to think and reflect on freedom of speech, which a lot of people have been practicing lately in the various protests that have been going on. And equally, uh, on uh, expressing um, some disgruntlement of uh, what is going on with the protests. So we hear all kinds of issues being offered to us. So let's consider for a moment the history of this cherished freedom that we, um, that we have that is called freedom of speech. So freedom of speech is a principle that supports the freedom of an individual or a community to articulate their opinions and ideas without fear of retaliation, censorship, or legal sanction. That's why people can uh, speak out about our government, because we have put in place in our Constitution freedom of speech. The term freedom of expression has also sometimes been used uh, synonymously with freedom of speech, and that means that any act of seeking, receiving, and imparting information or ideas, regardless of the medium used. So, the four freedom, the F-O-R freedom group, uh, uses art and imagery to express what they feel is important. Freedom of speech and expression, however, uh, showed up long before it appeared in our United States Constitution. It is believed that uh, the ancient Athenians had this democratic principle of freedom of speech that may have emerged as early as the 6th or 5th century before the Common Era. And the values of free speech were very prevalent in the Roman Republic. Concepts of freedom of speech can be found in all kinds of human rights documents. England's Bill of Rights that was written in 1689 and in the Declarations of Rights adopted at the French Revolution in 1789. For, so um, it is that uh, we also have that, as I said, in, our, um, in the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. So that you remember what it says, I'm going to read it for you, okay? The First Amendment to the United States Constitution states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Covers a, a lot. A lot of freedoms, doesn't it? So this is perhaps best seen in the words of Frederick Douglass. 
on this day after the 4th of July in which we celebrate, celebrate the United States Independence Day, uh, Frederick Douglass actually spoke on the 4th of July in 1852. This is what he wrote, and this is what he spoke. I say it with a sad sense of the disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of, 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. So, what started out as a very friendly speech ended with very direct statement a person and a culture in our nation who are, were and are oppressed and marginalized. Over time, our legal system, systems have recognized certain limits on freedom of speech, particularly when freedom of speech conflicts with other rights and freedoms uh, do harm, that freedom of speech has the potential to do harm. And in such cases in, in the courts, libel, slander, pornography, obscenity, fighting words, and intellectual property are included in that. And now there's a whole range of things that are beginning to emerge about social media and how we use our speech. You know, it's that thing, that idea that, probably the most popular example, that you can't shout fire in a crowded theater if there is no fire without it breaking the law because it puts people at harm. So, uh, given that, I want to remind you that it's safe to say that our nation's founders uh, were people of faith. Some were clearly Christian, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Congregationalist. Others were Unitarian and Quaker. And almost all of them were influenced by the 17th, 18th century great thinkers of their day which included people like Thomas Paine and others, who supported a theological concept called deism. And that is the belief that the existence of a supreme being, specifically of a creator, who does not intervene in the universe. Now, uh, there's claims on each side of this. Some evangelical pastors will claim that all of the founders of our country were very strong evangelical Christians. Well, there were some evangelical Christians, but the vast majority of them were mainline Protestant Christians, or uh, they were, like I said, part of the Unitarian Fellowship or the, the Quaker tradition, the Friends tradition. And they were also influenced still by this philosophical thought. Now, this is in contrast to our own faith tradition, right? Our own faith tradition claims that God is engaged with us. Um, is part of our lives. Uh, that God uh, in our scriptures talks to people <laughs> and, and that Jesus was engaged 
personally with people and did supernatural things like uh, supposedly walked on water and also uh, healed supernaturally and also uh, raised people from the dead supernaturally. And then there is the Holy Spirit who uh, we believe uh, enlivens us and inhabits our lives and our souls and our hearts so that we can actually be the people God has created us to be. That does not, in the progressive and liberal Christian tradition, rule out deism. It's just, uh, in a lot of progressive and liberal Christian traditions, it's a both and. That God is imminent, which means right here, right now, engaged with us, inhabiting our lives, showing us the way, but is also transcendent, is out there, and among us, and beyond us, and more than we could ever explain. So in order to make my point, I want to tell you a very old story, an ancient, ancient story, maybe one you've heard before. It seems that Abraham and Sarah were in their tent. And Abraham looks up and sees three visitors. Suddenly, they're there. And knowing that the rule in the desert is that whenever you have visitors, you welcome them because if you don't, they are likely to die. And so he goes to them and bows to them and, and, and invites them into his tent and asks Sarah to get some, uh, some meal and make, make bread. And he slaughters a calf and he brings them water to wash their feet. In fact, he is like uber hospitable, right? I mean, big hospitality. And so these three visitors um, take their rest and their meal with Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And in that time, they share with Abraham and Sarah that though they are very, very, very old and very, very, very childless, they're actually going to have a son, at which point Sarah laughs out loud, right? And then the three visitors get up to go on their way, and being a great host, Abraham walks with them to escort them as they depart. And the place they're leaving to go to is Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah fame, right? So as they go with Abraham, the Lord shares with Abraham an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah because of their very grave sin. And that for that sin, the cities will be destroyed. Now, I need to explain something here. For centuries, the sin of Sodom has been attributed to homosexuality. But if we were to examine all of the scriptures referencing Sodom and Gomorrah, in our scriptures and study them and study the time in which those scriptures were written and try to understand them, we would know that that is not the sin of Sodom. Because not only do um, the people of Sodom want to abuse, sexually abuse the visitors that are there, I mean, you know, Lot, God bless him, keeps the visitors safe but gives up his daughters. So let's, let's talk about what the sin is here, right? But the sin of Sodom is actually 
the sin of not being hospitable, which is talked about all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures as incumbent upon all people to welcome the stranger, right? And this is what uh, the Lord is counting as a sin against Sodom and Gomorrah. So then two of the visitors goes on, and one of the visitors stays with Abraham. And the scripture says, Abraham draws close to the Lord and asks, listen, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that you Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Now, can you imagine that? This is Abraham talking about talking to the Lord of the universe. And listen to the response. The Lord says, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Wow. But Abraham can't keep his mouth shut. And so Abraham says, okay, let me take it upon myself to speak. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And the Lord responds, I will not destroy the city if I find 45. And it continues. I mean, suppose 40 are found. For the sake of the 40, I will not destroy it. Suppose 30. I will not destroy it if I find 30 there. For the sake of 20? For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then Abraham says, Suppose 10 are found there. And the Lord says, For the sake of the ten, I will not destroy it. Having finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his tent. Now what do you suppose this story is about? For centuries we've made it about the sin of Sodom as homosexuality, isn't there a greater lesson here for us? Isn't it really about our freedom that God has given us? Our freedom to make choices, our freedom to speak to the creator of the universe, to the mystery that we call God, that we are free to even argue with and shake our fist at and challenge God, and that we can trust even when we speak words of challenge that God will love us and will for the sake of the ten righteous not destroy us. One classical Jewish teaching says that Jews cry out, why do you hide your face from us, O God, in the times of our trouble? You hear that? I mean, that's a part of the whole Jewish heritage. And can you imagine 
that this is what they asked day after day after day when hundreds of thousands of them were being gassed. Even the stories of Jesus told in the Gospels include stories of people speaking with Jesus and challenging him. Matthew and Mark have the great story of the Canaanite woman whose daughter is possessed of a demon. And, and the Canaanite woman comes and asks Jesus to cast out the demon and, and the, the, Jesus says, you know, am I supposed to throw food you know, to dogs? He calls the woman a dog. And she says, well, even dogs get to eat the crumbs beneath the table. And Jesus heals her daughter. Could it be that the God that is the mystery of the creation of all the universe and who dwells in us and between us and among us has gifted us with this great freedom to speak directly and sometimes challengingly to God. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth offer some guidance on how we are to think about our freedom, right? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So our freedom is actually free, but interwoven with the whole idea of our speech being governed by the Spirit, right? That the Spirit plays a role in how we are going to speak. Our freedom is bestowed upon us by God. But it is in that freedom that we are also governed. Eve and Adam find themselves put out of the garden for lying to God about their disobedience. And in the book of Job, God tells Eliphaz that he and the two other friends of Job have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has done. And so they are told to make a burnt offering with Job as their intercessor. For only to him will I show favor. Now what do you think this means for us? I'll tell you what it means. It means that if we are able to receive the gift that God has given us of this freedom, of this freedom of speech, and to rightly govern our speech by being aware of the Holy Spirit at work in us, and through us. And to govern our speech by making choices that do no harm. Then, then peace is ours. True peace. Not just the cessation of war. Not just the cessation of fighting and arguing and going to our separate corners, but true and profound peace. Our faith tells us that freedom of speech is a gift. Perhaps we should treat it as such, or as Don Miguel Ruiz said in his book, The Four Agreements, that the first agreement is always be impeccable with your word. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had a hard time keeping quiet too. Uh, like
like Abraham. And in fact, he was kind of wordy. If you read his letters, he kind of carries on, and he goes on and on and on. I mean, kind of like I do when I preach, but he, he goes on and on and on. He has the most run-on sentences you've ever read in your life. But right after he says that the Lord is the Spirit, and those who are in the Lord have freedom, here's what he says. All of us, then, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, or being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is freedom. This is peace. 